Amen. If you're a kid, now would be the time to have more fun than you would have in here. <clears throat> well, good morning. It is good to see you this morning. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the teachers here at Journey Church, and I just want to welcome you in and tell you, if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and grab it. We are going to be in Matthew. We're going to start in chapter 5. We're going to jump around a little bit. Uh, this week, not as much as I have the last few weeks though, uh, but so, but you can start in Matthew chapter five. And I just want to start out today more or less just by saying uh, how grateful I am. Uh, we received uh, several cards, notes, emails, texts throughout the week uh, from you guys just thanking us. And so I just want to thank you. Uh, I've said to many people that um, where we are as a church right now is not a reflection of a few, but is a reflection of many. Uh, Many of you are are using your gifts. Uh, We've experienced unity uh, in ways that most of us probably thought was unlikely in the last few months. And and that's an attribute to the Lord, first and foremost, but it's also to the heart of the people here. Uh, we've, We've seen increased love for one another. I mean, some of you I did not know that well. Now I know well. Some of you did not know me well. Now you probably know me more than you want to. Um... And we've just seen just an increased love and increased affection for one another, increased unity. We've seen group participation increase, which is a blessing. We've seen people using their gifts. So like the, the number of people serving has increased. And so all that just, just to say that what the Lord is doing here is not the people on the stage. It is all of us together collectively empowered by him that are making a difference for the kingdom of God by his grace. And so I want to say thank you for the encouragement. Thank you for the way that you roll your sleeves up each week and and serve one another. It's an honor to serve you back. Uh, We are continuing our series through the counter kingdom today. And we find ourselves again in Matthew chapter five. And what we've said is counter kingdom is basically God's kingdom in heaven that Jesus inaugurates on earth and that it is going on. It started with Jesus when he came. It's going on now through the church, through the power of Jesus's spirit and his people. And that one day it will culminate. It will, it will come fully and finally when Jesus returns to this earth. And in the meantime, he has established his counter kingdom here on earth. And so what we've been using as kind of the source material for this series have been the Beatitudes, which is the statements of blessings at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5. And so what we find ourselves this week doing is looking at Matthew chapter 5 verse 8. This is the sixth Beatitude out of eight. And here is what Jesus says, "Blessed blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now, when you hear the word pure or purity, what do you think of? If you're like me, growing up a Christian in the 80s and the 90s, I think about the phrase I heard a lot, garbage in, garbage out. Like this is what, did anybody else hear that? Oh, all right, Tommy, I got one. All right, couple, all right, garbage in, garbage out. This is what I was told by my parents, probably a youth pastor here and there. And basically what that means is when we think about purity, we think about what we bring into our lives can make us impure. And so we want to make sure that what we take in, we don't take in garbage, rather we take in things that would keep us pure. And so what I think about when I hear purity is I think about the fact that in fifth grade, I had to sneak in. Do y'all remember cassettes? Some of you? Okay, inside the cassette, there was a sleeve And if the artist was really generous, they would put their lyrics in there. And so in fifth grade, I was in math class copying down 
all right, stop. Collaborate and listen. Ice is back with a brand new mention. I mean, this is, this was how I learned Ice Ice Baby. It wasn't because I got to hear it. My parents wouldn't let me listen to Kiss 105 or whatever it was back then in Kansas City. In fact, I had a friend who, who audio taped it on a cassette for like an hour. And it's like, here you go. She was so alarmed that I couldn't actually listen to the station. Um, my parents weren't that strict actually, uh, but it just kind of was one of those things where like there were certain things that I really was not supposed to listen to. Garbage in, garbage out. Like I tried to convince them that boys to men were singing about their wives, right? It was fine, right? Like this is totally legit, but my, I didn't usually get away with that. We think about what we listen to. We think about what we see. Like what, is, what we see can make us impure. It makes us think about things that maybe are not good. I mean, we have come up with our own sort of like Christian entertainment. We have Christian movies. We, my kids grew up watching Veggie Tales. I grew up watching McGee and Me. Anybody else watch McGee? Yeah. All right. Now I feel a little bit more at home. McGee and Me, man. So, so here's where we're at. We have this idea of like, okay, purity. What, what, I need to be very clear of what I bring in. I need to be very, very clear about what I allow in my mind. And there was even a movement of like purity rings. Now I was a dude, I didn't get a ring, but I did get a keychain. And so you put the keychain on your car. We were telling people, be like, man, I know when I got that keychain in my car, I don't need to be like doing anything inappropriate in my car. Like that was just kind of the way we thought, purity. And what happens is, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be careful about what we take in, because we should, that would be wise. But if you grew up like me in that, in that season of Christianity, what ends up happening is after one or two mess ups, you begin to feel something inside, impure useless, worthless. Why? Because we've built such a big idea about purity that one little thing of impurity made you feel like you had just totally and utterly failed. And the kingdom of this world wags its head at this type of purity. And what's nothing to do with purity that either makes you feel impure as a person like failures do or makes you have a perceived purity that just makes you judgmental and condescending. And I can understand their issues with that, can't you? Because when we hear a, a beatitude that says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When we, when we hear that, our, our reaction, or I think our guttural reaction is just to think that it's no longer unexpected blessings for unexpecting people. Because, I mean, that's obvious, right? If, if you're pure in heart and this is what purity means, then, then surely you're going to be able to see God. The issue is like, who's actually pure in heart? Like who can actually say that? And many of you right now are probably thinking like, man, I got some work to do with the Lord. I'm not pure in heart. I, I, I need to own this. I, I, need to, I need to buckle down. I need to white knuckle this. I need to get much better. I need to try harder. I need to do more. Maybe you're bargaining with God. Like I'm not going to do this anymore. You're already going down that path. And and here's the other thing I think we think then is that if we hear blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God, we realize like Jesus is blessing nobody except for maybe himself. Because who can actually hear that and think, oh, that's me, that's me. But what if, what if what you have in mind and what I have in mind about purity in general and a pure heart in particular isn't all that Jesus has in mind when he talks about the pure in heart? And to be clear, I believe purity in the sense of holiness is a portion of what he's talking about. Us growing in sanctification, as Anna was just talking about, us growing in the image of Jesus. But what if there's more to purity than just a holiness that you exhibit, 
on the outside in your life, would that be unexpected? And then throw into the mix that he doesn't say, blessed are the pure, blessed are the pure in heart. Hmm. Might there still yet be an unexpected blessing for unexpecting people? I think there is. And the way we're going to look at it is under three different ideas. Number one, the integrity of a pure heart. Number two, the challenges of a pure heart. And then number three, the promise to the pure in heart. So the integrity of a pure heart, challenges that we face to a pure heart, and then the promise to the pure in heart. So start with the integrity of a pure heart. What does Jesus mean by pure in heart? The Bible speaks to purity in a way that requires, as we've said about some other things, a bit more nuance, a, a bit more than maybe what we just naturally would assume when we see the word, because it means a little bit more than just primarily, primarily being unblemished by sin. A quick overview of the Torah, which is Genesis through Deuteronomy, the first five books, the law, as the Jews would call it, a quick overview of that shows that God has certain views on cleanliness and unclean and holiness, and it involves a lot of different distinctions. Yes, intentional sin makes you unclean in the law, but so does unintentional sin. And you know what else? Sickness makes you unclean. And most of us are not sick because on purpose, except for, you know, like our kids when they like lick their hands and touch their face all the time. Most of us, like, we just get sick. We, we don't go out seeking it, and yet it can make us unclean. Skin blemishes can make you unclean in the Old Testament. Bodily fluids, even natural ones, make you unclean. And then mixing things, like you doing different types of, sorry, this is not right. Do, intermixing different types of fabrics. Intermix, cooking a, a goat in its mother's milk. There's certain things you're like, well, that's weird. This is what God is doing. In, in the law, in general, he is trying to show that this is symbolic of Israel's calling to be a people that are set apart, that are holy and sanctified, that are unmixed with the pagan nations around them because their hearts are devoted to God. But we can also get help by just looking at the way we use the word pure outside of Christian culture. Like if we just use pure in a daily conversation, we usually mean something like this. It's 100% of something, right? Like my wife always tells me, don't look for the, the label that says all natural. Look for the label that says 100% pure organic, right? Then you know, like that's legit organic. Pure, 100%. We see, we see kids, like yesterday we played flag football and when we won the game, like the whole game, are we winning, are we winning, are we winning, are we winning? Because I'm one of the coaches and they're asking me that. Then when we win, it's like pure excitement. You know, it's just like they're high-fiving each other. They might, might have been um, wagging their heads a little bit, but we got to deal with that. But it's pure excitement, right? It, it's not like partial excitement. It's 100%. It's pure. We think about our water. We want pure water. We want pure air. That's why we have filters in our refrigerator and our house, both of which in my house need to be replaced. I'll make a note of that. And we think about even not good things, right? Like, like this week, when we saw what happened in Raleigh, we say things like, that is pure evil. It comes from pure hatred. What do we mean by that word, pure? We mean 100% total, holy, pure evil. And I think the biblical understanding of purity is a blending of the two. It's a, it is a 
purity in the sense of holiness, in the sense of we don't want to betray and transgress the law, and yet at the same time, it's this idea of 100% wholeness. And now apply this view of purity to the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart. This is a heart of integrity. Now, what does that mean? Well, integrity means moral uprightness, so holiness, moral uprightness, and it means wholeness because the root word of integrity is the word integer, which is whole, not a fraction, not a part, whole. The 19th century Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, I heard this in a couple other talks I heard on this text, they both quoted this, so I figured it's got to be the best one out there, right? Soren Kierkegaard, he lived in the 1800s. Here's what he says about purity of heart. Purity of heart is to will one thing. Purity of heart is to will one thing. And Jesus is blessing those whose heart have only one holy pursuit, a heart after God. Jesus is blessing those who have a heart after God. And this should resonate with us. Like if you've ever read the Sermon on the Mount, this actually shouldn't be all that surprising. Think about just in the very next chapter, in Matthew chapter six, what Jesus says here, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You see, the pure in heart, they will their heart singularly towards the kingdom. How about this is more of a paraphrase from Matthew 5 and 6. Don't pray in public like the Pharisees because they pray like hypocrites. They pray in public so that people will see them and think they're so holy and realize how less holy they are. He says, don't pray like that. Instead, pray to your father in secret where only God sees you, where your heart, if you're praying in secret, is just a heart of devotion to the Lord. The pure in heart seek the Lord for him alone, not the praise of man. Think about also in Matthew 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. The pure in heart are treasure hoarders in heaven with a single-minded pursuit on the earth. Think about Matthew 7, still the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The pure in heart will, the pure in heart will their life to be built not on a mixture of foundations, but on one foundation, the word of Jesus Christ. You see, here's the deal, brothers and sisters, the pure in heart are not sinless, but they are seeking. The pure in heart are not sinless, but they are seeking. And Jesus is explicit in his blessing of a heart that seeks after him. Jesus is blessing the heart, the very heart that pursues him in his ways, holy, a heart that is unmixed, a heart that is undivided, blessed are the pure in heart. But if we are honest, we realize like there's a challenge to this for us. In fact, I've marked out three challenges, there's probably more than that. But the first challenge I think we, need, we see is that we see this as an exhortation. Blessed are the pure in heart, we see this as an exhortation more than a declaration. What do I mean by that? Well, an exhortation is like an encouragement. It's like a, 
Somebody's trying to beckon you in to do something. You're trying to stir up something in someone, whereas a declaration is just a, it's just a statement of fact. It's just a statement of truth. And the reality is we come to the Beatitudes oftentimes as exhortations more than we do declarations. We come to them as a do this instead of this is, what I, this is the way things are done in my kingdom. It's like we see this as do this instead of what's done. We see this as I want to shoot for this blessing. I want to aim for it. And Jesus says, I'm already calling you blessed. You see, there's a difference and there's a nuance to this in the Beatitudes. It's easy. And I've just looked at this as I've looked at how other people and preachers have taught these texts. It's easy for us to kind of slide into this exhortation mindset, right? I mean, I even did that. I had an entire sermon that I'm not preaching right now typed up Friday night. Friday night. And I got to the end of it and I was like, this is not it. I just completely put a weight on them. And that's not Jesus and that's not my desire. It's just so easy to slip into this as just an exhortation more than it is a declaration. There's a challenge because we cannot obtain complete purity of heart. And if I was to try to put that on you, it's like Jesus is just saying, be pure in heart. That's all it is, man. Just be pure in heart. Every one of us is gonna walk out of here going like, I can't do that. I can't fully do that. But that's not what he's saying. You see, hearing this as an exhortation before you hear it as a declaration results in switching effort with earning. And Dallas Willard says it best, I think, grace is not opposed to effort, but it is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. What is he saying? He's saying if you come to Jesus thinking you can earn his grace, you're in trouble. But it's not a problem to actually pursue him. Grace is not opposed to effort. It's not opposed to the pursuit of God. It's opposed to the pursuit of God earning you any kind of favor with him, any kind of indebtedness of him back to you. And the attitude of earning, which is a danger when we view this as an exhortation before a declaration, results in a danger to our hearts. And the Pharisees, they made this switch. They made this switch. And look at Jesus' response to them in Matthew 23, starting in verse 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, notice how he correlates hypocrisy with blindness. Blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside also will be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs. Wow. Which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you're full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, we see that and we think, that's heavy. And it is. But I want to make something very clear. When Jesus says, woe to you, woe is not a curse. It's a warning. He's not cursing them. He's warning them. Because the word woe basically just means great sorrow, distress, trouble. And Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, to the hypocrites, trouble's on the way. 
you got trouble in your heart. You've got woe and great sorrow coming for you. Why? Because they were more concerned with their outward purity than their inward purity. They were striving for purity in themselves and they were trying to push that on everyone else around them. Be pure, be pure. You did that wrong. You did that wrong. Why are you eating without your hands washed? I mean, they are just constantly going after people for purity. And the reality is like when we view things as earning instead of effort, when we make that switch, there are pitfalls to that approach. Besides the woes, the reality is like when you think you've nailed it, you are insufferable. You're not merciful. You're not poor in spirit. There's no mourning in your heart over the brokenness. There's no meekness. You're insufferable. But the reality is it won't take long for you to realize that you can't nail it. And then you despair. You begin to judge yourself against people around you to try to make yourself feel better about how you haven't nailed it. But in the end, you end up feeling unlovable, unclean, unworthy. That is woe to your heart. It's distress, it's trouble. And this is the challenge to a pure heart. We cannot earn God's approval through the purity of our heart. He offers approval only by grace. And this is a declaration of blessing before it's an exhortation. But that's not the only challenge because even for those of us who know that we can only relate to God by grace in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we still find it different, difficult and a challenging to have a pure, whole pursuit of God in our heart. And so the challenge number two, I think, is that the pure in heart still have competing desires in our hearts. As we've already said, no one's entirely pure in heart in this life aside from Christ. And the kingdom of this world throws a lot at us and not all of it's bad. Right? We have just normal cares in the world. Like we have finances and they're not always good. And so sometimes that weighs us down. We spend an inordinate amount of time thinking about how we're going to pay the bills, how we're going to raise, get more money, how we're going to meet the needs of our family and those around us. Maybe it's career. You know, that's a good thing to have a career, right? But, but sometimes it, it takes over your whole life. Family can do the same thing, school, even hobbies, right? If hobbies dominate your life, they dominate your schedule. These are all good things, but here's the deal. Any good thing can become an idol when it becomes the integrity of your heart, when it becomes the whole pursuit of your heart. Even a good thing can become an idol in your life. And the pure in heart still have competing desires, and therefore, the pure in heart then are not free from distractions of the world, but instead we have to learn how to put Jesus at the center of those cares, to, put, to use your finances at, for his glory and to trust him. This is a struggle. It's a struggle for me, to be honest. It's a struggle. How to put Jesus at the center of that instead of be like, well, I got my priorities, Jesus is first, and then I've got my finance. No, Jesus is at the center of all of the distractions when we put him at the center, it helps to reorient and, and helps our heart to become less uh, duplicitous in seeking other things. But we also have a crafty enemy who puts a little bait on that hook and casts it out into the streams in which we swim and we, we bite that thing so easy. We have entangling sins in our life. We have entangling sins in our life. We have desires in our heart that are, that are not right what Augustine calls inordinate desires. And we go after those desires. We, 
And not, again, not even all of them are, are really bad in the world's eyes. Some of it might just be like, you're just going for the good life, right? What this world deems as the good life. You're going for comfort, right? Because that's the, that's the paramount thing that we all want is comfort. So you're going for it. And the pure in heart are not free from being enticed. So take a breath for a minute, breathe. You're like, okay, this is starting to feel more like maybe this could be me. Breathe. It doesn't mean that you're not enticed. And when we continue to seek the Lord and mourn over moments of sin in our life, this actually helps us to grow in our purity of heart. Instead of sin in our life being inconsequential, like, uh, who cares? You know, we all fail. No one's pure in heart. Instead, the, those moments, those desires, when, when we see them in our heart, we mourn it. We're like, God, help me. I don't want to want that. I don't want to desire that. And then you add to the cares of the world and the bait of the enemy, you just have our flesh, which is still awaiting its culmination of the counter kingdom when God brings it to earth in the end. And so therefore, just our own flesh can stir up competing desires. This is a challenge for those who are pure in heart and want a pure heart. But the third and final challenge today is that we see hypocrisy instead of honesty with one another because we want others to believe the best about us. We, we want to put the best representation of ourselves forward and what ends up happening is we get trapped in the prison of people pleasing. We hide who we really are and then the enemy comes and whispers in our ear, you know, if they knew who you really were, they wouldn't love you. They wouldn't love you. And you know what? God knows who you really are. He doesn't love you either. You see, when we are not honest, when our heart is duplicitous, when we, we are hypocrites, we put a mask on. That's where the word hypocrite comes from. We put a mask on and present ourselves to our brothers and sisters or to the world in a way that in our hearts we know is not us. And this exposes our duplicitous heart. It's not a pure heart. And how does that even happen to someone who's desiring a pure heart? That you lose sight of the gospel. You lose sight of the fact that grace is available and you begin to get back into the cycle of earning to think he could never love me the way I am. I gotta fix this, I gotta get better. And once I get better in here, then, I'll, then everyone outside, they already think I'm great. I just gotta fix what's inside. Instead of just owning, whether it's in a journey group, whether it's just to a brother or sister and say, I am struggling with this, will you pray for me? Will you meet me here? Will you fast with me? Will you send me scriptures throughout the week? When you're, you can only be honest like that when you understand the gospel. That's how we break out of the cycle. We must understand to break out of the cycle that Jesus is blessing the pure in heart. What does Jesus mean by that? Well, the Jews believe the heart to be more than what we do. We typically refer to the heart as predominantly emotions. But in the Jewish context, it was different. This is how the Bible Project quotes it. This is what they say. For the Jews, they thought of the heart as the organ, yes, that gives physical life and the place where you think and made sense of the word, world. The heart is where you feel emotions and where you make choices. It was the emotions and the will. See, we tend to say the will is up here and the emotions are here. But the Jews said, when they said heart, they said it's all encompassing, mind, body, soul. And so this is why competing desires are there. This is why you feel those. 
Because even in the heart of a person who has, who's desiring a pure heart, you feel these competing desires because it's our mind. That Romans says that our mind is still being renewed. It says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Our mind is still being renewed. So you have a process going on of renewal here. Our body is still broken. We're not, I mean, I didn't get the greatest sleep this morning and my body's telling me. And I'm only 42. Like my body is still broken. I am, I still get sick. I still don't always feel well. We live in a body that is not gonna get better this side of eternity. So you have your flesh, but then it's your soul that is already renewed. So you can see the tension in your life. You've got a mind being renewed. You've got a soul that's been filled with the spirit of God that is renewed. And then you've got your flesh that's tugging you a whole other direction. Why do you have competing desires? That's why. Jesus says the pure in heart. And there's a lot tangled up in that topic of being the pure in heart. And this is why Jesus is relentlessly after your heart. Clean the inside first, he says to the Pharisees. Then the outside will represent what's on the inside because the inside is what drives our desires, our decisions, our pursuits, the heart, the mind, the body, the soul. Ashley Anderson says it like this about Jesus. She says, Jesus was and is at war, not with your heart, but for it. He's at war for your heart. He wants to engage your heart and he's relentless and the pure in heart engage the relentless Jesus with repentance and with faith. Take my heart, Lord, do what you want with it because I just want to follow you. Do you see the pure in heart? It's not about being sinless. It's about who are you seeking? The pure in heart are not people who see this blessing as an exhortation to earn their keep in the kingdom, but a blessing for those who desire to pursue Jesus with their whole heart in the midst of this broken world with pitfalls everywhere because he pursued your heart first. And in the midst of this pursuit, through the landmines and distractions of this world, Jesus makes a promise to the pure in heart. Here's what he says. Blessed are the pure in heart for they will see God. They will see God. And you can imagine if you're in that original audience, you might've heard a gasp. (gasps) See God. Like God told Moses in Exodus that even he couldn't see God's face. Moses, like one of the the greatest Israelites ever, right? I mean, he would be on their Mount Rushmore. And if, if Moses couldn't see God, who is this teacher here saying that the pure in heart can see God? It's hard enough. If you read Psalm 24, which we're about to, it's hard enough just to get in God's presence, much less see his face. Look at Psalm 24, starting in verse 1. Here's what Psalm 24 says. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. For, the, for he founded it on the seas and he established it on the waters. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. This is the question of your and mine and every other person's existence. We don't always realize it, 
but it's the, question, it's the question of our existence. Who can stand in his holy place? Who can ascend the mountain of God? Who can be in his presence? The deepest need of every human heart, the presence of God. The deepest longing of every single soul, the presence of God. Why? Because verse one and two, we are made by the Lord, we belong to the Lord, and therefore we will only find wholeness in the presence of the Lord. It's the desire of every human heart. So who can be in his presence? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. So the one who's sinless? The one who's perfect? No. Because go back to verse four, this is what he says. The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Now, when you read the Psalms, a lot of times what you'll see is, is it's telling you the same thing in two different ways. So this is the psalmist, which is David. He's saying clean hands and a pure heart, and he's reiterating what that means as does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. Well, what is he getting at? A pure heart is one that's devoted not to multiple gods, not multiple pursuits, but is pursuing God. Not falsehoods, not false idols, not false gods. Clean hands and a pure heart is someone who does not trust an idol. Someone who has an integrity of heart and their sole hope and their sole pursuit is God Almighty. And then verse five says this, they will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God, their savior. Do you see what comes for them? They're not sinless. They need salvation still. They need blessing. And notice what comes, blessing and vindication and salvation. And the word translated here in the NIV vindication is the same Hebrew word typically translated righteousness. You see, even the ones in this life who have clean hands and pure hearts, they still need a righteousness and salvation from outside themselves, from God. They never were going to fully have clean hands. They were never going to fully have a pure heart that warranted their own salvation and righteousness. And we find that the pure in heart receive blessing and salvation and righteousness from outside themselves. But as we close, I want you to notice one more thing, how the psalmist finishes the section, verse six. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. Those who seek him, they seek his presence. Those who seek his face, to see him face to face. But no one could actually see the face of God until over a millennia later, when Jesus comes with a blessing for the pure in heart in his counter kingdom, with a promise that they will see God. When no one really understood though, was that they were seeing God right there. Hebrews says he, that Jesus was the exact imprint of his nature, that the full radiance of God was in Jesus Christ but only a few actually saw him. Now you might be like, well, how's that? 
Like there are massive crowds everywhere. We read that at the beginning of Matthew 5. There was a large crowd. I mean, he'd been healing people. He'd been casting out demons. That'll create a crowd. And they are following him around. And here they are. There's a massive crowd. How on earth can I say that only a few people saw him? Well, because there are three Greek words that could be used for the word see. And they all mean a little bit different. And the word that is used here does not mean merely seeing. It's the word hara'o, which basically denotes seeing with your eyes, yes, but then seeing with the eyes and the mind and discerning what you see. You see, many saw Jesus with their eyes. But Jesus says the pure in heart, those who are willing to follow him to the best of their ability, even in their struggle to do that on this earth, are able to see him with a certain kind of perception. They see him as Lord. They see him as Messiah. They see him as king with a counter kingdom. And that's the way it is today. In light of the gospel, his righteousness offered to us by grace, through faith, what Jesus did for us in his life, death, and resurrection, we can see God in the person of Jesus now. The pure in heart see Jesus as he is, the God who saves, the God who loves you, the God who relentlessly is after your heart with his pure heart, the only true pure heart that's ever lived And as we pursue him in the midst of this broken world, wrestling with our flesh and our desires and the competing desires that are in our hearts, we actually see God. And the pure in heart, we see Jesus at work in the world around us as well. As we pursue Jesus, we begin to see, like we can begin to become aware of opportunities around us to love our neighbors, to love our enemies, to pray for people, to speak life and encouragement into people, to share the gospel, we begin to see opportunities. And in that, we're seeing Jesus around us and the pure in heart see Jesus transforming their heart, making it more pure as they walk in obedience to him. You know, there's a tension in the scriptures regarding sanctification, Because there's no way you can come away from the New Testament and think that your sanctification is all on you. God says he's going to complete the work. It's Philippians 1.6. He's gonna complete the work that he began in you. He's gonna complete it. And yet there's no way you can come away from the New Testament and think that that you're completely passive in your sanctification. That you have no kind of uh, call to obedience, that there's no kind of intentional pursuit of God like expected of you. It's a tension in in there. How, How does Jesus ensure that he's going to sanctify us and yet expect us to pursue him with obedience. It's a mystery. It's there, but they're both there. He will see you through as you pursue him. Jeremiah, God says in the Old Testament, if you seek me, you will find me. What? When you seek me with all your heart, pure, 100%, whole, Think about the times in your life, like we know this is true. Think about the times in your life when you felt closest to Jesus, when you've seen him the clearest. Were those in moments of spiritual apathy where your heart was just conflicted with all kinds of things in this world, not giving Jesus much mind? Is that when you've seen him face to face? Is that when you've experienced his nearness? Or was it when you were single-minded, you were sold out, you were pursuing him? Maybe you were in need, maybe you were 
Maybe you were just in prayer. Maybe you were fasting. Maybe you, but you just wanted, you were hungry and you were thirsty and you saw him. Despite the pitfalls this world brings with all its distractions and all these competing desires, the ones who are poor in spirit come to Jesus to receive grace and they pursue his heart and they will see God. But like most of the Beatitudes, the full consummation of this blessing will be found in in the end when he comes, new heavens, new earth. And at that time, Revelation 22, this is what will happen. This is the last chapter in the Bible. Revelation 22, three through four, no longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face. This is not a possibility, brothers and sisters. This is a promise. The pure in heart in this life who are adopted into God's family by grace, who've switched the earning into just merely effort, willing one thing in their heart as they seek first his kingdom, will find grace in their time of need and see his face all sorts of ways now and will eventually see it clearer and brighter forever in the new heavens and the new earth. What a promise. What a blessing. What a kingdom. What a king. And all your struggle. Do you seek Jesus? Because he says, blessed are the pure in heart. It's a declaration. It's not an exhortation first. First and foremost, it's a declaration. It's a blessing. Blessed are the pure in heart. Because I know it's hard, but I'm telling you, you will see God. Amen. So as we close our call to action today, I didn't put them on a slide because I, I feel like sometimes we, we get captivated with maybe making a note. I just want you to think through this. Call to action today, number one, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, whether you're watching online, whether you're here in the room, if you're not a disciple of Jesus, it's basically to look intently at Jesus. And as you see him for who he really is with perception, let him purify your heart by grace through faith in all that he's done for you in the person of Jesus Christ and then pursue him with all your strength. That's the call for you. Not a disciple, look at Jesus Ask the Holy Spirit, let me see Jesus for who he really is, not who I think he is, not who the world tells me he is, maybe not even who the church has told me he is. Let me see Jesus for who he says he is. Purify my heart, Lord. I believe that you can save. Would you do that? If you're a disciple of Jesus today, I just want to say this as a closing call to action in all your pursuit. Find peace in all your striving. Find rest in the declaration that Jesus blesses your attempts. He doesn't bless your attempts to earn anything with him. 
but this is a call to action for disciples of Jesus who've already been washed by his blood, who have been sanctified by him, who've been justified by him. For you, as you pursue him, and I know there are days you're like, God, why is this so hard to pursue you? I wanna pursue you with all my heart. It's just so hard. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. You're gonna see me. Maybe now as in a mirror dimly, but one day you will see me face to face. And all the tears that you've shed, all the mourning that you have felt, I will wipe away from your eye. Brother, sister, find peace in the pursuit. You will see God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for these men and women in this room, for these brothers and sisters. God, it can be hard. It can be discouraging sometimes when we, we're so conflicted. If we have a heart that really wants to seek you and and to see you and to know you and yet we're just pulled in so many directions. Would you help us find rest in your declaration that we will see you? Holy Spirit, would you give us discernment to see the things and ways in our life that are tripping us up, that are making us have mixed and divided hearts? And would you encourage us this morning with a glimpse of you that even in the mess, as we still walk in our flesh, but with renewing minds and renewed spirits, Father, would you give us a glimpse of you to show us your goodness because you are good and you do good. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.